Last week we began a new sermon series uh, called Serenity, How to Deal with Anxiety, and we're looking at the book of Proverbs, which Sean just read from, but we're not just trying to look at Scripture cognitively to see how Scripture understands anxiety, how Scripture understands serenity. We're also trying to push a little bit into a contemplative practice of prayer. We're trying to uh, get into leaning into how prayer uh, helps us experience or can help us experience that serenity. So lots of smart people who are all smart, we can all talk about things, but what is it like to experience these things that we understand? And so um, we're going to pray together beginning this, this sermon, the second installment. Take a deep breath in. This is the prayer that has been guiding our series, It's going to guide our series. And deep breath in, deep breath out, and let us pray together. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Maybe you have heard from the not, of the not-for-profit organization to write love on her arms. Have you heard of that not-for-profit? Um, if you haven't, I'll tell you a little bit about it. You can go online um, and read more about it. Uh, there's someone in the back who's really excited about that. Uh, <laughs> um, it started with a story that someone wrote in order to help his friend, this young woman um, uh, who was his friend, the story writer, the author was a guy, his friend, this young woman, was just struggling in her early life, in her early adulthood life. She was um, on drugs, on alcohol, uh, she had all this anxiety and depression, and she had uh, sort of at the end of that thing been um, uh, really in a really bad place, and so she'd gotten into rehab, and they needed to raise money for her rehab, for her treatment, and so he wrote this story as a way to circulate uh, what was going on to raise some money for her rehab. And he told the story of their friendship, which included in part this last season they'd had together in which she had been in full-blown uh, addiction using alcohol, drugs, and she had been at the point of cutting herself to relieve anxiety. And maybe some of you have had some of those experiences, and if you have, we can talk about that. It's okay, we can talk about that. But she had gotten to the point she had cut, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cuss here, um, she had cut fuck up into her arm. And he wrote that he wished, this author wrote that he wished that he could get all of her friends together, which she called said, I wish we could get our church together. And um, we could write love on her arm instead. That instead of all the inner tapes that she had been hearing, all the, you know, all the tapes, we talk about those tapes, the false spirit tapes of you're not good enough, you're worthless, you'll never be repaired, all those things, you know what I'm talking about. But instead of those tapes playing in her head that, that he wished that she could hear God and he wanted friends to help her hear God um, writing love on her arms. I think of so many folks, including lots of y'all, who have uh, tattooed spiritual messages on your arms. Um, I've seen a lot of them because many of you have put them on your wrists or at the front of your arms so that your clothing won't cover them up so you can see them every day and they will remind you to love to breathe, to let it be. Let it be, uh, just an aside, let it be is what Mary said 
you know, Jesus' mom, when, remember the story we tell at Christmas time, when the angel of the Lord, I could say, flies through Mary's kitchen window while she's doing her crossword puzzle and says, hey, uh, you, how do you feel about bearing Jesus into the world? And she's like, let it be with me. Let it be. That's what she says. Let it be. So when I see tattoos like that, and maybe you can show each other your tattoos if they're public. And, um, <laughs> or if they're not. Uh, whenever I see tattoos in general, uh, I think of that biblical theme, maybe you know it, that biblical theme of God writing God's message on our hearts. Do you know that? God writing God's word on our hearts. Jeremiah prophet. Uh, here's one place. God says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Or today, from today's scripture that Shana read, let your heart keep my commandments, write them on the tablet of your heart. I feel like when God is saying that, it's like God is trying to let us know that she wants to dwell with us at the deepest part of ourself. Right? God wants to dwell with us. God wants to write not, uh, not only words, but to write, to put God's very presence in the center part of us, right in the core of who we are, to, um, to let God's message, to let God's word, God's love, be the primary fuel for our life. The Gospel of America says that freedom comes only when you learn to rely on yourself. The Gospel of God says, quite counterintuitively, that your truest freedom comes when you learn to rely on God. Those things are counterintuitive, because relying on yourself is okay. It's all right. It's important to be like, I am strong. I am fierce. I am, you know, that's good. But what the Gospel of God says is that comes most fully and freely and dependent when you rely on something counterintuitively that is not. That's what we talked about last week when we opened the sermon series. We said the first part of that phrase, uh, that prayer is God grant us the serenity. It is God who writes serenity on our hearts. Um, it is God who gives us the wisdom. And this week we're talking about how that serenity that God gives us can help us, uh, as the second line of the prayer says, how that serenity can help us accept the things that we cannot change. So next week we'll talk about how serenity helps us change the things that we can, or have find the courage to change the things we can. And I want to say that's a huge, important part of the human experience and the Christian experience, to find the courage to change the things we can. But today, put a little pause on that for a second and talk about how do we, in serenity and peace and love, accept the things we cannot change. So I was thinking about this week, I'm just gonna a water bottle here. Um, I was thinking about it. Most of the time, when we talk about the things we cannot change, when we use that phraseology, things we cannot change, what we mean is the things that we do not like that we cannot change, right? <laughs> When we invoke that phrase, things we cannot change, no one is thinking about the good things that we cannot change, right? No one is thinking, God, help me accept the things I cannot change. No one's thinking about the rising of the sun every day. No one's thinking about the incessant, beautiful 
crashing of the waves on the beach. No one's thinking about the love of your dog no matter what. <laughs> These are things you cannot change, right? No one's like, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, like the Grand Canyon, you know? <laughs> that, is not our, that, that is not our problem, right? <laughs> our anxiety is never the love of our dog or the Grand Canyon, right? Our anxiety comes from the things that we cannot change that we don't like. That, that's an obvious statement, but just to sort of say it. We, the things that mess with us, the things that are profoundly sad, things that are um, troubling deeply, the things that are unfigurable, those are the things we cannot change that give us the anxiety. And as Mary said, this week we've been living with the, just the sadness of the announcement that I made last week, that I'll be moving at the end of the calendar year to the UK. And I know that it brings up all of these feelings, and uh, I hope that uh, you know from me and if you don't, I want, I want to say it again, and I'll keep saying it. Sadness, anxiety, anger, frustration, all of that is welcome, right? And so happiness, gratitude, that's also happening. You might be like, thank God. Uh, I've been waiting for years for you to move to England. Uh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't mean to make light of that. I just... Wherever you are, it's okay. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that we can talk about that. And so you don't have to, as I said last week, we're not moving quickly into stage two, right? It's okay. And, uh, and you can be angry, you can be upset. That's where you are, that's why that's okay. But it's sad. And it is, um, though you may understand it cognitively, like why I'm moving, like you may be like, yeah, that makes sense in some sense. It's, it's still something that you, uh, though you understand it, you, you cannot change that, right? Though you may try to in the next four months, and that'd be interesting. But uh, uh, that's hard because it's sad. Um, of course, the most difficult things are the things uh, we cannot change that we cannot understand at all. The things with no clear cause no understandable cause, the things uh, that devastate us that we cannot change. And you all know some of these, the loss of a baby in the eighth month of pregnancy, the wreckage of your own past. You can't change it. You wish you could. That's one of the things impossible to change, your past. The, this week, the seeming will to violence of the human species. Some people, when they talk about the things that cannot be changed, um, they mean to suggest that all of those things that cannot be changed are part of God's will or plan. And I just want to go on record, and I'll say this like I say every once in a while, I am one preacher with one interpretation, so you push back at me if you want. That's totally cool. You always can do that. But I don't believe that God is behind everything. I do believe that everything happens for a reason, but in my theological opinion, and y'all have heard me say this before, I don't think everything happens for a divine reason, for a cosmic reason. Um, God, to my mind, is not behind racism. God is not uh, somehow holding up the death of children, or the death of anyone, for that matter, uh, by violence. God is not behind gun sales. 
God is not behind abusive parents or abusive anyone. Everything happens for a reason, yes, but sometimes the reason is that people are assholes. <laughs> That's the reason that some things happen. And not just including myself, because like, we all are at times. Amen? Amen? We are. And if you say, oh no, then just wait a few years and I'll shut up. What was Paul saying about what sin was in Romans? Uh, that double cocktail of hypocrisy and judgmentalism, denial of the thing. It's okay, God will bring you to a theater. So people make horrible, make, do horrible things, and not just individually, right, but systemically. This is the thing. Systemically, we participate in these baked-in forces of oppression, of, of slavery, and I don't mean that just in a, a spiritual, emotional sense, in physical slavery of people still today. Uh, we participate in these things that the Apostle Paul called, he called them powers and principalities. And he was not, sometimes people think Paul's talking about God there. No, 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 no. Paul's not talking about the powers and principalities of God. He's talking about the powers and principalities of something else. I don't know about you, but I was watching the market crash this week. And everyone, ah! I was like, that's a power and a principality, right? That's one thing. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this Christian theologian and pastor who was jailed in the early part of the century during the Second World War, and he was eventually executed in a death camp because he resisted the evil power and principality of the Nazi regime. He's a beautiful theologian. If you haven't read his stuff, The Cost of Discipleship is a classic. I commend it to you. He wrote, not everything hap that happens is the will of God. But through every event, however untoward, there is always a way through to God. I love that. Not everything is the will of God, but even in the horrible stuff, God is always there using everything. Though God, to my mind, didn't create it or architect it, God is still able to be there. Those things that we cannot change, I don't know about y'all, but most, lots of them for me, they break my heart, they break our hearts, those things. They break our hearts. And yeah, I believe, because I've personally experienced this, that when our hearts are breaking, when our hearts are broken, all the words that God has written on our hearts have the chance to move now into our hearts. Things that are on the surface when we experience pain, suffering, heartbreak, all those words of love and covenant can get even deeper inside of us. God's words are no longer just written on our hearts. Now God is in our hearts, even deeper than we thought was possible before. Leonard Cohen had this great line in one of his songs. Maybe you've heard it. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. It's often contending with those heartbreaking things, those unchangeable things, perhaps, that we experience the most transformation. Through every event, through every heartbreak, through every crack, there is an opportunity for the light to get in. I do not, y'all, I want to hear, hear, hear me say this, I do not mean to romanticize that. Um, it is not uh, fun. It is not easy, it is hard, it is painful, it stokes, often it stokes more anxiety 
as the heart is breaking, right? And I think in the midst of this anxiety, something that well-meaning people do, often well-meaning spiritual people, and I don't mean just Christians, but well-meaning Christians, well-meaning Buddhists, well-meaning spiritual but not religious people, well-meaning astrological people, well-meaning syncretists all over the religious spectrum, well-meaning people say, Christians will say this particularly, don't forget, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't forget, in the middle of anxiety, Paul said, oh, don't be anxious, that's from Philippians, don't forget. You know, as if Jesus and Paul were like beatboxing with Bobby McFerrin, you know, like, don't worry, be happy, right? Uh, everything's great, just chill out, relax. That is not, to my mind, what Jesus and Paul are saying at all. Uh, though I understand how you can get there, and so I, those well-meaning people, including me sometimes, I've said stuff like that, you know? Uh, but just keep reading, keep diving in. You know, Jesus says, let me continue the quote, don't worry about tomorrow, why? Because today has plenty of trouble for its own. <laughs> oh, it's not, oh. <laughs> There's trouble today. <laughs> when Paul says, don't be anxious, he is not riding from the beach. He's not penning that while sipping a margarita, you know, at uh, Sandals, you know. He is in prison writing, don't be anxious. And I don't know what you're, I know lots of Christians have this metaphor of prison as like a fun place to be. It's where we learn about ourselves. Like, it's an anxious, horrible, terrifying place to be. It was in the first century. It still is. In the, in the criminal justice system we call prisons, it, it's, it's, you know, this is not a, don't worry, chill, chill out, it's fine. What I think they're saying is like, everything is actually not great. And there is this weird spiritual invitation by trust to not let that be the thing that dominates your behavior. Don't let that primary fuel, sometimes reactive, sometimes super depressed, don't let that be your primary fuel. I've quoted her before, but Nancy Mayers is an author I love. Um, if you haven't read her, this is a sermon full of book references today. Sorry for the bookworm in me. Um, she writes provocatively about lots of spiritual stuff. And if you're into like the intersection of the body and spirituality, um, I recommend her, Nancy Mayers. She had, uh, years ago, a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, and she reflects in her lot of her writing what it's like to be disabled and what it's like to slowly lose control of your body. And she says she realized that if she let herself be dominated by her anxiety, she would just stay in her chair all the time. She would sit there. If she let anxiety win uh, or be her primary fuel, she would just stay in her chair all the time. In order to live, she said she had to confront that fear, she had to confront that anxiety, she had to step out and keep um, walking, literally, and risking that her body uh, would deteriorate, well, and to risk her body doing something while she was walking that she, that, it, that she didn't want it to do, which it often would when she was trying to walk, because she has MS. And she said she found that, this is so counterintuitive too, she said she found the courage to walk not by saying, I'm not afraid, I'm not anxious, I'm going to walk. 
she found the courage, she writes about this in an essay, to walk by every step literally saying, I am afraid, I am afraid, I am afraid. By contending with the thing, by naming it and, 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 and sort of contending with it, she found a pathway through, not through it, but like with it, into acceptance and to courage and eventually to some sort of freedom in the midst of this condition that was for her unchangeable, right? And MS was not going to get, she was not going to be healed from that, she didn't think, and she hasn't. But she has been healed in the midst of it, because she, she has experienced salvation in the midst of that, because she has discovered freedom in the midst with that anxiety. Are you tracking with me? Read, read her, she's amazing. That's, that, I think, is what salvation is. We talked about salvation in our last sermon series, after the evangelism one, Kevin. We talked about salvation, so a little less tricky than evangelism, perhaps. But that's what salvation is. Salvation is not like everything goes away and everything's, you know, salvation is how you walk through with increasing freedom through this thing called life. And not just this life, but the life after death, too. It's all connected, which is so cool. So a couple of years ago, I, was, uh, I had a morning flight somewhere. And I can't remember where I was flying to, but I woke up and it was one of those horrible weather Sunday morning, weather mornings in Chicago. It was raining got uh, my bags, I went to the L with an umbrella, I was soaked by the time I got there. I was just, I think God preparing me for England, you know. Uh, <laughs> I got on the plane, which I experienced getting on planes to be like the worst of the human uh, dimension. Like, people are horrible getting on planes. No, there's no bag, baggage room in the overhead. But it's like, this is privilege and you know, first, world, first world problems, I get that. But I sat down in my, I sat down in my seat and I just feel like, uh, and a little depressed and worried about the day. I don't know what I was going to do, but I looked out the window and it was just raining. Everything's cloudy. It's horrible. And we took off and we hurtled off the runway into the clouds. And then you couldn't even see the clouds anymore. All you know how they're all just this white, you know, some white gray. And then after about a minute, you had this happen to me perhaps. We broke through the top shelf of the cumulonimbus cloud shelf. <laughs> And all of a sudden, it was blue skies everywhere. It was gorgeous. There was sun. You know how clouds can be so oppressive when they're above you? But the minute you break through, you're like, oh, they're so beautiful down there <laughs> on the ground. And I, it, this, this, I had this voice in my head come. And you know, I think this is God's like, say, Trey, which of those two things is true? Are the clouds true? Is the sun true? Is the depression you're experiencing true? Or is the lightness you're now experiencing true? Proverbs says, don't rely on your own insight. Shauna read that. Don't rely on your own insight. I don't think that Proverbs means don't rely on your own, own insight because you're, you're a problem or because you're sinful or because your insight's bad. No. Don't rely on your own insight because your insight is always incomplete. Your insight is always conditional and provisional. Which is true? Is it cloudy or is it sunny? Well, it's more complicated. It's both at the same time. I just, I, one, of, one of my spiritual gurus called Anthony DeMello, he's, he writes this. He says, I think this is golden. Before salvation, I was depressed. After salvation, I am still depressed. <laughs> It's not that as we undergo the gospel, as we undergo salvation, all the bad weather disappears. It's not that we stop feeling sad or anxious or depressed. 
It's that we begin to understand in some mysterious way this is part of life. And we come to integrate that and not be dominated or decimated by it. Proverbs says, don't rely on your own insight, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does that mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart? Sounds like something your grandmother would have stitched on the pillow. But what does that actually mean? You know that I love nature. I love um, creation. I experience creation to be the natural creation to be, as some Christians say, the first book of Scripture. That's my experience. And so my spirit director a few years ago gave me an image for prayer. And she said, imagine God as a huge mountain, the mountain. And you are on that mountain. You, Trey, are on the mountain. You are walking on it, you are rooted in it, you're on the mountain. And some days on the mountain you're on, which is God, the, the weather is perfect. You can see for miles and it's glorious and you're like, oh. And some days there's uh, other kinds of weather on the mountain. It's, you're, it's socked in, you can't say anything, it's raining, it's sleeting, it's hailing, there's a blizzard coming, and it sucks. What the spiritual life is, is remembering that you are on the mountain, and the mountain is the thing that is permanent. Not you even, but you on the mountain. The mountain's permanent. The weather will come and go. Some days it's beautiful, some days it's socked in, but as you continue to undergo the salvation journey, you know that like this is weather. This is not the most permanent thing. This is weather. And so, when you get a break with good weather, you're like, this is awesome. Thank God for the end of that cloud bank. Oh, shit. Here comes another weather system. But the more it rolls in and rolls out, you begin to identify with it less. You begin to detach from it. Not avoid it, or pretend it's not there, but you know, ah, this is weather. And you're connected to something more permanent, which is not weather, which is the eternity and depth of God. I was watching Jimmy Carter's press conference last week. He announced he has brain cancer. I am a huge Jimmy Carter fan. I know some people think he was the worst president ever. I am not one of those people. <laughs> um, he didn't get everything right, for sure. But I wish people had listened to him when he was talking about alternative energy sources back in the 1970s. But that's another sermon. <laughs> and as he was talking in his press conference, I said to myself, there is someone who has been on that mountain for a long time. There is someone who has been through a lot of weather, who has contended with a lot of things that they could not change. So I don't know about you, but when he's, when he's speaking, you believe him because you know he's not just sort of saying something he thinks is cognitively true, I think he does, but he's speaking testimony, he's speaking from an experience of something he has undergone. God, the God who says that I worship, and all the weather too. Do you hear what he said? What did he say? He said so many trustworthy things. I am perfectly at ease with whatever comes, he said. I am ready for anything. 
I am ready for a new adventure. Death? Life after death? I hope for the best and accept what comes. I don't look at this as a hardship on me. That's someone who's been on the mountain a long time longer than me. What do I want, he says? I'd like for the last guinea worm to die before I do. He's been trying to eradicate guinea worms. And he almost has. It's not that there is not anxiety. Of course there is. He's got brain cancer. His wife is very anxious. He is very anxious. But he knows in the midst of that, there is something more. What does he call it? Oh, it's the God whom I worship. Let us rest in and find our rooting in that God. It won't be easy, but we will be okay.